the irony is like these sacrifices we're being asked to make, these stands we're being asked to make are not yet very costly. And I say not yet because if in this moment and the ones to come in the next few months, we don't take a stand, we don't make decisions, we, we give in to apathy or, or defeatism, then it will become more costly. Because the other side will not say, oh, okay, that's great. Like, you didn't push back, so we know that in good faith, you're... No, they will keep going. Hi, welcome to Wild and Beautiful. We're Joanna Hyatt and Lauren Enriquez, your co-hosts who every week are helping you live out your faith in a way that's biblically rooted, but culturally relevant. So have you ever fallen asleep around your kids and then woken up and been surprised? No. About anything that happened while you were sleeping? I'm trying to think. Well, I have. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I fell asleep on the couch yesterday while my kids were watching a movie, and I guess my three-year-old daughter got bored because she went and found the tattoo markers. Have you ever heard of tattoo markers? No. Do they come with a needle? <laughs> no. They're like felt tip markers, and they're like Sharpies, but for your skin. And I think they might be Sharpie brand. Who? Okay, why would you make a, a marker? <laughs> <laughs> no, the real question is, why would a mother buy these also, markers? Also, why would you buy them? Because yeah, I have Sharpies. It seemed like a good idea And that's a—I mean, I consider that—I thought that this was like a name you use at yeah. home, like the tattoo pen, which is really the Sharpie. No, it's an actual thing. Yeah. It's like intended for skin. It's cool. And it's one of those things that in my naivete, I thought I would buy them and like keep them on top of a closet and pull them out, you know, and, you know, use them with supervision and a plan. But somehow they made it out from the top of the closet and they made it into the art box and then into my three-year-old's hand. And then she decided that I needed jewelry (laughs) on my body while I was sleeping on the couch. And I woke up with some tattoos. I have a bracelet on wow. my hand. I have some pearls on the oh, top of my hand. You know, hand. that one's really nice. It's beautiful. Yeah, uh, my three-year-old. Um, I hope you have some on-camera appearances in the next week. Yeah, maybe so. Um, How long until this thing washes off since it's a tattoo marker? So it's 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 like two weeks. Wow. I mean, it. these are – it's legit – I'm not advertising this, but it is a good advertisement. If you actually want a marker that will not wash off your skin, these things are legit. Um, is this like what yeah, you hand your 16-year-old and they're like, I want to go get a tattoo? You're like, here's a tattoo marker. Yes, Think about exactly, it. If in two exactly. weeks you still want that dolphin, then we'll discuss mm-hmm. this. Okay. You're <laughs> lucky, though, that she only chose to draw on your hand and wrist because I feel I like know. she could have gone to your face. It could have been much worse. Mm-hmm. It could have been much mm-hmm. worse. It could have been my neck, my face. Yeah. No, but she, and she told me she was very proud when I woke up. She was very proud that I had now a bracelet that I did not have before. And she also had a bracelet and a few other um, accessories. Well, that's so, so sweet. I mean, yeah. how do you knock the friendship bracelet with your daughter? Also, my mind immediately when you talk about drawing on your, goes to that scene in 10 Things I Hate About You. Do you remember Which that one? Scene? I haven't seen that in so long. When the jock is drawing on the nerd's face as he's making oh, yes. a request. It's very not oh, so sad. appropriate. But now so I'm like, sad. great, great. That's all you needed was drawing on your face. So I'm glad you didn't get mm-hmm. drawn on your face. Yeah, but I also we're looking think you at the bright side here. 
you should throw away <laughs> the tattoo markers. I mean, I had I these markers that were for fabric ink. only. Uh-huh. And somehow they made it into the kids' drawing bin. And I okay. finally squirreled each of them out and just chucked them because I was deathly yeah. afraid they were going to draw on the couch. Upholstery, yep. Because we're exactly. smart parents and got a tan, whitish couch with four mm. young children and a dog. Because that seemed like a good decorating decision. <laughs> if anyone knows how to get Sharpie out of leather, uh, asking for a friend. <laughs> Sharpie Sharpie or Tattoo Sharpie? Sharpie Sharpie. Good times. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, children are sweet and innocent, and I love that she just drew pearls on you, uh, which segues <laughs> nicely into what should also be sweet and innocent these days, but is not. Right. Disney. We're looking at Good you, old Disney. Mm-hmm. Did you like Disney growing up? I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I liked Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of into the princesses, not big into the princesses. In some ways, mm-hmm. growing up in another country, I felt like culturally kind of had me out of the loop. Um, but we did go to Disney World. I, so I distinctly remember at like eight or nine, my grandparents surprised us because we had just been back in the States for a year and flew us all to Disney World, me and my siblings anyway. And so it was this big surprise. We get to Orlando, Aww. put the pieces together. It was magical. So we magic. had breakfast oh, yeah. with the Disney characters. One of my oh, little brothers nice. had a birthday there. And so that was really cool. And so even though I wasn't yeah. obsessed with Disney like some people, there was a magic to it. And just yes. sort of this, like, Disney was fun. Disney was good stories. Um, Disney was all the things that, as a kid, you can be about. And as a parent, you can be for. You know, then you go back when you're 15, 16, 17, and it's still fun. And it's still magical. Yeah. And it felt like the happiest place on earth. Oh, for sure. I grew up with the Disney princess movies, like in Aladdin, Lion King, all of those. Loved them. Um, we watched them over and over because obviously that's what you did with movies when you're a kid. You own like six movies and you just watch them so many times. But I was never, we never really did the Disney Channel. And that always seemed to be kind of like a different category of oh, true. Disney. We didn't do that. Um, yeah. No. And even today, I it's like cringy when I watch it. I just don't like it. Never did. Um, but they do have a lot of influence over the culture. And they have a really strong brand, obviously, that has m- maintained the trust of parents for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to start to come into question in the next few months based on their latest activities. Do so you want to set the stage for that? Because this is actually, folks, not a, a conversation about Disney. Uh, but mm-hmm. Disney is the jumping off point for a yeah. larger conversation that we want to have. Uh, about how do we, as people of faith, live in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile, 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 mm-hmm. to values that are Christian and values that are explicitly Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's a culture that is no longer neutral. That it, no. we're not in the like you do you thing your thing I'll do mine. It mm-hmm. is aggressively going after everything that Christianity is about. Yeah. And how are we supposed to live in our day-to-day? What does that look like for engaging with this culture as people who are in the world but not meant to be of it? And so Disney mm-hmm. gave us just like this great tee up in the last week or two. Yeah. to say, okay, we have to we have to tackle this because it will 
keep coming up more and more. Like this, this is, you know, one in a slew of things over the past kind of 24 months, but I think it's just going to going to keep coming faster and harder uh, as, as things progress. Depending on how we respond to them, right? Mm-hmm. I, what Disney is doing is normalizing intolerance of Christians, of believers, of people with quote-unquote traditional values. There was this term that became popular, I think, in the 90s, the silent majority. It's this idea that um, even though strong, cultural, powerful institutions tend to skew atheist, the majority of Americans are believers, are have traditional values. And the idea was that this group of people could push against the culture that was pushing to the atheist side by taking action. And I think the question today is, are we a silent majority? And if so, why are we being silent today? And should we be silent? Can we be silent? Um, And I think Disney and organizations like it are inviting us to answer that question in a stronger way than ever before. So as probably everyone listening is aware, Florida recently signed into law a bill that prohibits public schools from discussing sex and gender ideology with preschool through third grade students. Um, I am definitely in the camp that thinks that third grade is much too early a cutoff for this bill. I think it should be much, much later, uh, maybe all the way through high school, because these are things that parents should be discussing with their children in the first place. And gender ideology isn't good for any children of any age. So I don't like the idea that our taxpayer dollars would be subsidizing any of those conversations. But Florida is at least taking a step and saying that for children eight and under, this is inappropriate. These are conversations that cannot be happening between public school teachers or organizations that are brought into the school to teach in any capacity and children. And initially, people called on Disney to speak out and take a stance on this issue because Disney World is in Florida. So one of their big um, pieces of property and influence is in this state. And as we've seen over the last few years, especially, uh, it has become an expectation among a lot of people in culture that powerful organizations will take a stand on political um, and cultural conversations. Rather than just offering the service that they offer and minding their own business, the expectation by the left is that these organizations will speak out. I think most people on the right would be content with the organizations just remaining to be Switzerland and not speaking out heavily on these issues. But the left is demanding it. Initially, Disney said that they were not going to, uh, you know, take a position on this bill. But some activists within the organization threw a tantrum and Disney ended up denouncing the bill and basically making hostage promises to these activists that they would be taking a stance on similar bills in other states. And then after that happened, some recordings from meetings within Disney, among Disney executives uh, were released where uh, it was revealed that there have been actions happening within Disney to promote uh, a gender ideology agenda and introduce it to children at every level of their 
ages for programming. So um, Disney's kind of being exposed as a dangerous organization for children. And, and the question is, how are we as Christians and patrons and customers of Disney, as probably all of us in some capacity are, going to respond? Are we going to respond? And if so, how? Yes. And when you think about what Disney is involved with or behind, I mean, hello, folks, Pixar. Disney now owns Pixar. And, you know, there's there's been conversations and it's been acknowledged that they're going to be um, making some changes even in content that's going to come out and then also actively looking to start creating content that goes against um, healthy family values uh, to create content that is essentially bent on grooming our kids. And I know that that sounds like, whoa, you guys, like that's that's a stretch. Uh, but but what what is the purpose of engaging a stranger's child in conversations about sexuality if it is not uh, for some nefarious purpose? Mm-hmm. Because it, it would be inappropriate for any person to walk up to a small child that they don't know and begin to talk to them subtly or not so subtly about issues of sexuality, and yet it has um, become the drumbeat of the left, essentially. Uh, you know, we try we try to come at you here uh, with just like, here's the information. We're not trying to left versus right. But in this case, it really is um, uh, the left or a portion of the left the drumbeat of you have to talk about these things. You must um, push these things to small children, and they must come from strangers, and parents must not know about it. That's the other piece, you know, that in all of this, there is, there's this adamant push, too, that parents are not to know what is happening in the classroom. Parents are not to know, essentially, what is happening on the screen, you know, on, in kids' tablets and phones, that we are going to reach your kids and and we are going to shape your kids because we know best, not you, mom and dad. It's telling that the bill was titled the Parental Rights in Education Bill, and yet the media renamed it the Don't Say Gay Bill. That's not what this was about. It was simply focusing on age-appropriate conversations, and we don't believe it's appropriate at this age to be having these conversations with these children in a classroom apart from the parents. I don't think the people who coined the term don't say gay bill were under the illusion that the bill says not to say gay. They knew what it said, and they purposely mischaracterized it because they don't like what it actually says. But if they came right out and said, actually, we do want the right to groom your children, they knew they wouldn't get cultural buy-in on the massive scale that they did by instead lying about the bill and rebranding it as something that it wasn't. So they turned people away. They created a straw man, basically. They turned people against a bill under false pretenses. And now they have set up a situation where it looks like the majority of Americans support or against a bill that simply bans grooming. It's a very nefarious situation. And I don't think the majority of Americans support the agenda that's being laid out by these activists. But the question is, who is going to take action? Who's going to engage in the fight? Because the people who are going to act are the people who are going to get things done. 
Are we going to lay down at this point? Are we going to be frogs in the water, in the lukewarm, comfortable water, and not notice that the temperature is being turned up and that we're being boiled? Or are we going to realize that this water is heating up, and if we don't do something about it, we're going to get boiled? That's the question that we're facing right now. There's a quote about inertia that I thought was really good. Um, There's a book called Strangers in a Strange Land by Bishop Charles Shaphew, (laughs) and it is kind of about living as Christians, as believers, when the culture is in the process of turning against you. And he has this line in the book that says, obviously the power of public opinion has limits. People don't automatically adopt the ideas that win power in any given election. He's specifically talking about politics in this part of the book. He says, inertia, both for good and for bad, is a powerful factor in human behavior. And that is so true. Inertia, it, it's, it's really the challenge that we're facing, I think, as believers and as parents right now. The activists may not be large in number, but if they're the people that are willing to take action and achieve their goals right now, and we don't realize that this is happening and do something about it, they will win simply by virtue of the fact that they're doing something. So we have to make sure that we don't become so comfortable that we just lay down in our inertia and accept what is happening. And listen, I I get it that like as a parent, if you're listening to this, you're thinking, but I am so spent just trying to raise my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired just yeah. trying to raise my children. And now you're saying I have to also be fighting for, like, we, we're expecting that other people are fighting for the future that our kids are going to walk into while we raise the kids that are going to lead that future. Right. But we're at this point right now. Uh, much, much like uh, you know Ezra and Nehemiah, when it came to Jerusalem, like you are going to have to build and fight. You are going mm-hmm. to have to have both your uh, trowel to build the wall and your sword, and yeah. that's just where we're at right now. You're going to have yeah. to build your family. You're going to have to uh, pursue good in your community, but you yeah. are going to also have to fight, and that might be small or that might be big. And I think as Christians, there's three ways that we can respond. Um, you know, as we see both specific instances like what Disney's doing, you know, they're doing this because they expect that no one will push back, that we do not actually have right. the commitment to to push back, to sacrifice, whatever it may be. They'll follow the smaller, louder voices because those are the ones who have shown themselves to be committed for the long haul. Yes. And so as Christians, we have three responses. One, apathy. That inertia without, real that just says, I don't, you know, who cares? It doesn't affect me yet because you are that frog in the pot who says the water's not that hot. That frog over in that pot's dead, but I, I am fine. And it's, it's the idea of that, you know what, whatever's going on out there, it hasn't touched me. So I just don't really care. I don't care. I don't want to engage. I don't want to learn about it. Um, And if you're listening, that's probably not you, (laughs) but the reality is there is an apathy that is prevalent among uh, Christians, Christians and Catholics, because it's just exhausting, right? The the hits are coming all day, so you just kind of say, I'm just not going to deal with it. The second is defeatism. You see it. You see that it's bad, and you just think, well, I have no way of making an impact. Like, I'm one person. What, What does it matter if I 
cancel my subscription to Disney Plus? What exactly. does it matter, uh, you know, if I stop shopping at this place over here um, or or I even have a conversation with a friend? What does my one action matter? And so I'm not going to make a difference, so there's no point in me doing anything anyway. Mm-hmm. The third, though, I'd say is realism. And realism says, you know what? When I signed up to be a follower of Christ— this is what I signed up for, is that I yeah. signed up to actually be in opposition to this world, which means that there are going to be uh, both very, very real um, sufferings that I may experience, and it may be big or there may be small ones. You know, it may be death mm-hmm. by a thousand paper cuts or or it may be uh, death by the sword. And we have followers and brothers and sisters in other places of the world that are experiencing um, such such brutal persecution because they live in countries where they know if I decide to follow Jesus, it's it's probably going to cost me everything. Mm-hmm. And we have gotten comfortable here in, in the West. Well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm also going to get to look like everybody else around me. I get yeah. to do all the same things. I get to have all the same comforts. It's like a win-win. I'm in like mm-hmm. both cool kid clubs when I need to be. <laughs> And that's just so not biblical. Sorry. No. Like, go read John 15, where Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. I mean, the point of following Jesus, you know, he was a teacher in, in that time, and he had disciples, and, and you followed the teacher because you wanted to be like them. Well, how mm-hmm. did that end up for Jesus? <laughs> like, how did it end up for his 12 12- Apostles who got skinned alive, crucified upside down, beheaded. Like it ended up the same way it ended up for Jesus. Mm-hmm. They they followed him well. And and I, I don't know that we present that well when people are coming to, to faith in Christ here. We're like, we just want you to know what you signed up for. We're like, oh, this is great. You're not going to like have all the good things in life and things. No, no, things are probably going to get worse for you mm-hmm. because you now increasingly are a stranger in the land where you are living, and you have aligned yourself with the side that the prince of this world mm-hmm. hates. 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 And he's bent on our destruction. Yeah. Whether that's through inertia, if he's like, he can just make you do nothing. Exactly. Like, okay, that was easy. Um, but if you're like, no, I'm not going to do nothing, then he's going to come after you. And he's going to keep exactly. bringing the hits. And if it's not you, he will come for your kids. Because he will, in one way or another, seek to take you and take your lineage down. Mm-hmm. The fight is worth it, though. And I think that's what we hope people mm-hmm. come away from this conversation with is this renewed sense that engaging in the fight is worth it. And our children are worth our suffering in this fight, teaching them how to fight. Because one day they're going to go out into the world and they're going to be facing all these same questions. Um, Catechism of the Catholic Church here. Enrique's uh, standard. (laughs) Perfect. There's several paragraphs. I'm just going to read a couple lines from each one. I'm not going to read this all the way through. Paragraphs 407 through 409. It is about the consequences of original sin and the fact that we have to fight, quote, a hard battle. By our first parent's sin, the devil has acquired a certain domination over man, even though man remains free. It goes on, ignorance of the fact that man has a wounded nature— 
ignorance of the fact that man has a wounded nature inclined to evil gives rise to serious errors in the areas of education, politics, social action, and morals. I just want to reread that because it is so relevant to what we're talking about. Ignorance of the fact that man has a wounded nature inclined to evil gives rise to serious errors in the areas of education, politics, social action, and morals. Paragraph 409, the dramatic situation of, quote, the whole world which is in the power of the evil one, unquote, that's a, that's a quote from the first letter of St. John, makes man's life a battle. And here's a quote I'm going to finish with. The whole of man's history has been the story of dour combat with the powers of evil, stretching, so our Lord tells us, from the very dawn of history until the last day, finding himself in the midst of the battlefield. Man has to struggle to do what is right, and it is at great cost to himself and aided by God's grace that he succeeds in achieving his own inner integrity. Oh, that's I good. I just love that. Isn't that, that is so, so good? good. I know yes. we're painting a really exciting picture here, folks. This is where I drop <laughs> off. Everyone just was like, pause. But you know oh, what? But I love that. We have a a Christian radio station where I live. I'm not going to name names, but I've been listening to it since I was a kid, off and on. And it is the most milk toast Christian radio station. You'll turn it on and you'll hear silly little jokes like it's Veggie Tales or something. You'll never hear radio station, isn't it? You'll never, yeah, you'll never hear a conversation (laughs) about anything happening in the culture. You'll never hear about abortion. You'll never hear about politics. You'll never hear about what Disney is doing. Um, It's just like entering into this other dimension where everything is sunshine and rainbows. And it's so off-putting because that is not what our Christian life entails. It is, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible cover to cover, but if you have, uh, it is full of gore and violence and struggle and suffering, Uh, but it is also full of victory and hope and just success in Christ when He comes to redeem us from all of this muck that we find ourselves in. And Christianity is fulfilling when you live the whole big picture of it. Mm -hmm. We can't just live the happy, pretty rainbow parts. And I think that's the invitation (laughs) that, like I said, Disney is offering to us right now as Christians is in their own way, Disney is inviting us to decide whether we really want to go all in on our faith as parents right now. And the irony is like the the decisions we are we are being asked to make right now as parents or or just as individuals, you don't have to have kids, right? Disney is so pervasive uh, in, in so much of of culture right now, and, and they're not the first, and they certainly won't be the last. The irony is, like, these sacrifices we're being asked to, to make, these stands we're being asked to make, are not yet very costly. Mm-hmm. And I say not yet, because if in this moment, and the ones to come in the next few months, we don't take a stand, we don't make decisions, we, we give in to apathy or, or defeatism— then it will become more costly because the other side will not say, oh, okay, that's great. Like you didn't push back. So we know that in good faith, you're no, Mm-mm. they will keep going and they yep. will keep going until they meet a resistance that is more powerful than their own commitment to their cause. 
And the question yeah. for us is, are we as committed to protecting our children yes. and to fostering uh, godly values in this culture as the other side is in going after our children mm-hmm. and fostering anti-godly ba- values? And and look, they don't profess to follow Christ, so I don't expect them to have the same values. But neither then am I going to be naive or, you know, or— or um, think that, well, they're they're surely going to operate, you know, kindness and goodness and love. No, we do not have the same values. We are in a war, and we are to love and to pray for those who persecute us and who come against us, but we will be persecuted if we are mm-hmm. living out our faith well. Right, and that's a guarantee, folks. It's <laughs> you a guarantee. can take that to the bank. I think something that that I'm working on as a parent, and I'd love your thoughts on this, Joe, but, you know, something I'm feeling really convicted about is that I'm really thinking a lot about that frog in the boiling water analogy, and I'm thinking, yes, I can cancel Disney+, Plus, um, but— I'm realizing that I might be called to do more uncomfortable things than that in the coming months. You know, my kids are in public school right now. And something that I've started to do in my heart and my mind is to create red lines. Mm -hmm. I've started to decide ahead of time, what is the thing that my kid's school would do that would be, that would involve me withdrawing them immediately? And I do have those red lines in my head. And I think that it's good to think through in your head ahead of time, what is your line going to be before you cut something off or root it out of your kids' lives or withdraw them or whatever serious action you need to take to protect them? Because I think that if we just coast and we kind of play things by ear, we are at risk of the water being turned up and we become desensitized to the gradual uh, increase in temperature. Um, So I have thought through that in terms of public school, but I haven't thought through it in terms of necessarily what they're watching on TV, et cetera. So have you ever had that consideration, Joe? I mean, I think as usual, you put it, more succinctly than I probably did in my brain. I mean, we had a red line on public school. We've pulled my kids from public school because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, living in Washington State, there was a sex ed uh, curriculum that was pushed and passed. And that was my red line. I called all of our legislators. I said, you pass this, I will pull my four children out of public school. And they passed it. And we did. That next year, we pulled them out. And, you know, there they you said, go. oh, it's okay. not, so not going to be this. That. It's I've done it, and and of course mm-hmm. we were told like you you are um you know you're, you're just like overthinking this you're 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 expecting like of course we're not going to infiltrate this ideology into all the classes it's just sex ed and that is a misnomer it is not just this one thing it's popping up into everything mm-hmm. because the the fact is what is being pushed even in just sex ed is is actually not appropriate to ever bring into a conversation with children outside of the home. If you as a parent want to have that conversation with your child at whatever age, that's that's your parental right, and that's a different mm-hmm. conversation for us to have, whether that's healthy for your kid. But for a school to push that, for government officials to push this, for for entities like, like Disney to now seep this into everything, that is where the problem is. And so mm-hmm. that was a red line for us. We've pulled our kids, and by the grace of God, um, 
you know, we were able to put them into a different uh, educational system. But that's also now why I fight for educational options, because every parent should have that choice to say, I want my child thriving educationally and to be able to have a working relationship with the school and feel like we're in mm-hmm. partnership and not yeah. uh, against one another. And that I'm I'm having to fight uh, for my kid with the very people who get them for six hours a day. Mm-hmm. So and I think who that's I'm one. paying yeah. my taxes to. Who I'm paying my taxes to. So parental rights and education is such a huge theme right now. Um, and, you know, as parents, especially as Christian parents, we have a lot of influence over the culture economically. I think that if, you know, all of us unsubscribed from Disney+, Plus, Disney would feel that and would probably— correct course. But the reality is that boycotts are very hard to make successful. Um, Once you subscribe to something, it's easier to just keep that on autopilot than to cancel it. So I understand the feeling of powerlessness when you think, like you said earlier, you know, I could, I could unsubscribe from Disney plus, but what good is that going to do? And I would urge people, if you're feeling that on your heart, by all means, you know, unsubscribe from things that are that you don't feel are bringing your kids closer to Jesus, or you, for that matter, closer to Jesus. But something I think that we shouldn't underestimate the value of, and where I think that maybe we could have the most influence, is by having these conversations in our sphere of influence. What do I mean by sphere of influence? People you go to Bible study with— people you're friends with at your gym, um, your circle of friends, your family members, siblings that have kids, fellow parents, your support group, wherever your sphere of influence is, I think if you have trust with these people in your relationships, being able to being able to bring up topics that may be a little uncomfortable, but you know need to be discussed can be really powerful. Ask people, you know, did you hear about the new Turning Red movie on Disney? What do you think of it? Do you um, have any issues with the direction Disney is going? How are you dealing with that in your family? And just expressing your concerns. I think that can be really, really powerful. And I think that the temptation to be silent and to go with the flow and not rock the boat um, is a temptation that we really have to overcome right now as Christian parents in this culture. And so, Joe, that's really what I'm convicted about in my own personal life is to just really have these conversations. And and I have had them with a few people. I was talking to some people at my gym yesterday about Disney, and we just had a really, you know, uh, healthy and productive conversation about it. Um, So little things like that, I think, can make more of a difference than maybe we realize. Yes, absolutely. Because it does one of two things. It either lets that other person know they're not alone, Yes. Or it plants a seed by letting them know, hmm, somebody that I know, care about, respect, thinks this way, thinks differently, because we are not the characters that the media would like to portray us to be. Mm-hmm. And so by us speaking brave, um, <laughs> we help other people to be just a little bit braver or to think twice the next time they see a headline or they're told something uh, about how they should feel about a particular issue. Mm-hmm. They'll say, well, that's not consistent with the people that I actually know. Mm. And it's hard because it feels lonely. And yet, yes. and yet by doing that, not only is that for our children pushing back, um, 
to build a culture that hopefully one day um, is freer than the one we have right now. But it also is the most loving thing. It is the most Christ-like thing to speak the truth. Because you see Jesus do that in so many of his interactions with people. He he didn't come railing at people, but he did not shy away from calling it like it was. Whether he was simply saying, yeah, the man you're with now is not your husband. She's making a statement to the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. Or he's saying to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Just yeah. stop. It is the most loving thing for us to speak truth into a world right now um, that is dying for lack of it. Yeah. Oh, that's so well said, Joe. So good. And if you don't want to have the conversation, just share this episode, and that'll kick it <laughs> off. <laughs> there you go. Just share it. No context. Just text it to someone. <laughs> Be like, here you go. Can't wait to chat. Bye. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Um, we'd love to hear, you know, what decisions do you make? What conversations do you have? Uh, how does it go? Let us know. Wild and beautiful podcast at gmail.com. As always, please do review rate and share this podcast.